Welcome listeners to Dark Tides, a weekly paranormal actual play podcast. I'm your host, show creator and narrator, Aubrey Lydon. With me as always are Chester and BJ, our shining stars in this blackest of nights. Podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, how are we going? Bonjour. Pretty good. I just ran down to my letterbox and back again before we um, <laughs> record. Exercise. So... I'll get this my breath back choice. at some point. Hello, my name's BJ. I play Alistair. Yep. Thank you. He's an age... Thank you for your conciseness. He has milk preferences. He works for Tear. And he... he um, yep, he's healed up a bit since the last episode, so that's good. Damn. I feel like milk preferences is just a real a real worrying statement, <laughs> BJ. Hello. I play Heath. My name, Chester. Heath age. Uh, Heath no like milk. Heath lactose. <laughs> lactose boy. Lactose boy. Lactose free boy. Lactose intolerant boy. Ooh. These are real questions. These are the questions. Will they be answered? No. Good. All right, I think I'll just sort of wrestle control back now because it seems weird. <laughs> um, cool. You think you can, but you can't. This is the beginning of our season two finale. Um... This episode and the next three will basically see the final adventure of this season uh, before we take a break in January of 2022. And then we are back with some new miniseries, some exciting stuff. So stay strapped in. Uh, We hope that you enjoy the coming adventure. I've got a few things planned that I think will be a surprise for everyone. Yay! A little bit of fun. A little bit of fun. Even you. Um... Look, content warning. (laughs) Hey, I've written today's episode. Yay. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Um, In terms of content warning, it's not really going to be that scary anymore. We're probably pretty good. You might be in the clear. You're in the clear. More or less. More or less. Guys, we're back. It's the gnome episode. Gnome episode number three. It's not that. The finale is just entirely gnome politics. Like, not even an adventure. It's just (laughs) Alistair has to sit. In, yeah. like, their courtroom. <laughs> Everyone just, just settles it. back into their old easy chair. And uh, it's like, ah, uh, my comfortable place. Ah, uh, uh, the uh, podcast that I first fell in love with. Ah, uh, Gulagoon. The podcast that I first hated and still do, but at least it's familiar. Uh, I do not like change. Ah, uh, 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 <laughs> All right. Aubrey's uh, crying because of the, the, the comedy. Yeah, I know. I just have allergies to stupidness. <laughs> Stupid people. <laughs> and lives with Chester. Right. He's constantly sneezing. Uh, Oi, as a very... As a very... Got him. Got him. <laughs> you can talk All right, now. Very brief recap. Previously in the show, Team Wormwood, which is Heath O'Sullivan, Puck Welsh, and Alistair Stern, uh, you had been rerouted on your way home from Slate Ridge to the Utah Salt Flats to a research station uh, where you were essentially ambushed an unknown rabbit-eared, bandaged-faced assailant, uh, almost killed Heath and attempted to kill Alistair and Puck. Uh, but we Heath good- made a deal with the Fae to save Alistair and Puck by bringing help in exchange for 
services rendered at another time, some other kind of favor that the the Fae would cash in later. Warwick and Emily Bell showed up and rescued you. And our story begins back at Tier about a week later. Mr. Pop. <laughs> London, Tuesday evening. The rain has returned, pattering on window panes and slate roofs, rattling in gutters and gurgling down drains. On the streets of London, evening traffic is hitting its stride. Cars, minicabs and buses are all queuing at the lights. Fog is rolling off the River Thames in dirty waves and wrapping itself around the corners of stores and apartment blocks. The Tear Society on Whitechapel Road hulks moodily, most of its staff have left for home, leaving the nighttime skeleton crew. In an upper floor, we find the infirmary, where Heath O'Sullivan is propped up in bed. His small private room has a window overlooking the street below, and two rather uncomfortable visitors' chairs, both of which are currently occupied by Alistair and Puck. It's been one week since Team Wormwood was rescued from the Utah Salt Flats. Puck, that card won't stop singing. Ah, uh, yeah, they, they, I think it's broken. Can you just pull the batteries out? I tried. Uh, it won't stop. Uh, that's, hang on, here, Puck, pass it, pass it to me, I'll give it a try. <laughs> she does so. You open it up and it's clearly one of the ones that are meant to never stop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Alistair starts tearing it open. <laughs> hey, I, I feel like that's a little rude, Alistair, like... It's just, well, I'm I not think gonna buying, damage the bit with the writing me on it. a torture card is. Uh, I wasn't supposed to be here when you opened it. I, I used to be unconscious. I've had it open for three days. <laughs> yeah, well, I wasn't. Supposed That's to why it he's conscious, Puck. <laughs> he like pulls the wires out of the battery. <laughs> uh, I guess we should roll to see if it's still going. <laughs> yeah, roll, roll it Does it have a backup battery? It's a nine. He's yep. He's disabled. Yep, it's it. done. It's dead. So um, <sighs> sweet serenity. How are you feeling? Well, uh, bracket-wise, uh, second worst pain of my life, and it's, it's doing a lot better. The, the worst uh, got an earworm that made me feel like, made my brain think my skin was all burning off. Got oh. that in... Um, Is that an Irish thing? No, it's not. It's a supernatural... The mission with wool. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry, I thought you were just talking about like normal earworms. Or no, I don't no, think they do a... that. Maybe that's a special Irish no. earworm. So you're saying this is the mo- most hurt you've ever actually been? Like, yeah, just real. About, yeah, yeah. But hey, I'm, no, I'm doing, I'm doing better. Well, you can move your arms again, which I is can. good. Yeah, that's and pretty I can impressive. Walk, although I could always walk. Yeah, but you're not going to, are you? Going to stay yeah, there? My legs, my legs won't hurt. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> It's pretty impressive what they can do. Uh, modern technology mixed with what I'm assuming is magic. Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think there's much uh, modern technology going on. It's, it's mostly the magic bit. Mostly healing wizards. <sighs> wizards aren't real. Hey, wizards are real. 
Wizards aren't real. They if they are. were real, we would know about it. I, I do know about them. There's one in the archipelago. He's freaky. Puck, Puck have you gone Is to this the fourth the old floor? Man? What? Have you gone to the fourth floor? You mean the basement? No, the fourth floor up. No. Oh, no wonder you don't think Wizards are real. Anyway. Oh. Right. Heath leans back in his bed and looks up, listening to the, the rain pattering against the roof and the window. Have uh, either of you spoken to Warwick or Emily yet? Not since we came back, no. No. Uh, busy bunch, those two. You know, I was 14 years old when I met Warwick. I was... I tried to pickpocket him. Oh, I bet that went well. Yeah, he broke my nose. Mm. But he said he liked the spirit because I tried again. <laughs> what did he do so, then? Uh, Break your fingers? No, he's not He's not that. Well, we'll give you yeah, a job. Yeah. No, he broke my fingers. Then he gave oh. me a job to make up right. for it. Uh, I was trained at the school here. That was his condition, was that I had to go to actual school because he tried to get me to write my name and uh, mm-hmm. mm. wasn't didn't go well. Anyway, yeah, but that's how I met Warwick and then I met... Emily from there, and I was fortunate enough to be trained by the two of them to a degree. Emily was always busy, flying here, driving there, fighting this, banishing that. But Warwick was around a bit more. They are pretty impressive. Yeah. That flaming sword deal. I want to learn that. Yeah, how does that work? Is that a magic thing, or is she... Like, is it the sword, or is it her that does that? It's a sword. Wow. But uh, not anyone can claim a sword like that. That's, that's a big thing. It's... You have to be an Emily or a Warwick, right? No, you have to be... There was this concept a long time ago. I'm sure you're all, you're all, you know, Becks in culture, in art, in people. But there is a very true idea in that. A I long thought that time was just ago, the reality of growing up. No, well, a long time ago, there was. I can't really call anything else. There was an age of heroes, of great people doing great things, sailing great oceans, fighting great beasts. There was an age of heroes, and that ended a very, 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 very long time ago. And. There is a feeling of decline, but whenever I look at Emily, when I look at Warwick, I see those heroes. I see it doesn't feel that long ago. The Fae used to tell stories about all that. About the heroes, the battles they would have back when the Fae and humans were a bit more interconnected. So... Are the f- where do the Fae live, Heath? Like, are they? Do they have their own layer? Is that how that works? Like the desert? I uh, will. This answer isn't very helpful, but they live in fairy. That's not helpful. No, that no, it's not. But that is the reality of the situation. Yes, it is more akin to a layer. Okay, but the layers weren't always this separate. They were sometimes. Sometimes they thin, sometimes they thicken. Sometimes they're close, sometimes they're further apart. 
But there was an age of fae and humans, there was an age of heroes, and I don't know what age we're in now, but I'm just grateful to have been trained by two of those heroes. That's certainly would have been quite the experience. Well, I, I mean, look, you might be a cripple in a bed right now, but I mean, I think you're pretty close to a hero. I'd say I've been trained by heroes as well. Like, like a B grade. Yeah, like hero, a watered down. I felt, yeah. I, I felt like these comments were coming along, which is why. I well, listen, you them. open yourself up for it, Heath. What do you think's going to happen? Yeah, what happens when you. What do you think is going to happen when you're, like, emotionally vulnerable? You're going to get yeah. bullied. Yeah, Puck's going to start, like, talking about feelings, and then, you know, then you're going to be in trouble, aren't you? Mm. Yeah, that's what Alistair hates the most. Yeah, exactly. What? I will say, though, you two, you did a fine job back there. Very good job. The best I could ask for and or expect. Yeah, we didn't die. (laughs) Success. Uh, Heath, I've been thinking about that. Mm -hmm. And and the meeting we had earlier um, about the revolver. And I... I wasn't advised to any meeting about the revolver. No, well, I, I say we, I mean me and... I mean, they could have held it here. Yeah, yeah. I remember them locking you outside. Anyway, well, I mean, I'm in bed. No, earlier, before uh, I went back to the archipelago. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was just because I needed to be yelled at again. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I decided to let them start running some tests and and put it under the microscope a little bit because I, I, well, first of all, I kind of know what it is a bit better now, so I've got I've I've been able to give them a starting point, so they're not just trying to go in blind I guess but also I I think it's too dangerous to be left unscrutinized I suppose um, mm. you know Alistair when you came to me yeah you were a very angry very focused very power hungry young man you might not have seen it that way but you always believed that what you needed was more power to protect people to stop things from happening you needed to be powerful and you got that you got that with that gun and it shows a lot that you're willing to put that under test because their goal will be to separate it from you their goal will be to take it from you yeah i know because they will see it as dangerous too and i understand that you know that yeah, no, I, 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 I know that that's, that's the goal. Um, mm. I think I've. Mm, that's good. I've realised that it is dangerous, and um, yeah, you're not wrong. I think I've always seen the power to act in these kind of situations as as a safety net, I suppose, of keeping myself safe and keeping other people safe. But if trying to achieve that power is is what's putting people in danger then that's not who's yeah. who's doing the test boy uh granger's leading it the experimental research division they're you know working on it as a whole but granger's in charge mm, granger mm, well he's skilled but i don't like him <laughs> Mate, i want you i can't i guess i can't really call any shots here but i'd like warwick there where possible Granger's a member of the high, ta- of the high table, or it's a round table, but 
Everyone on the round table has their own goals, their own schemes, their own ideas about what to do. And I've never, ever liked any of the ones he suggests. Well, Warwick wanted me to kill things with it. So, you know, he's got his own agenda, but I think you're right. I think, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll talk to them and see if I can get him there well, I mean, if, it's, if it's possible. It's pretty reasonable for Warwick. I mean, he was... He was part of the team that made the Navy SEALs look like a bunch of chumps. I shudder to think what would have happened if he'd have merged with it. Or however it works. Well, I think it would be uh, shocked at the prospect because he uh, he likes to kill things, but uh, he has the most hardcore set of morals that you could ever possibly imagine. It is obscene. Yeah, thanks for that. I can't help thinking that if Warwick had that much power, we'd just see some kind of resurgence of the British Empire. Just about. He'd, he'd probably kill everything that stood against him, in a way, but he'd also manage to make the gun question itself, probably. Ah, <laughs> oh, you can't do that. <laughs> he, probably, yeah. he probably wouldn't keep it. He'd probably scare it off. Yeah. It'd, like, transform itself into a little butterfly or something and fly away. I don't think that's how that works. No, no so I don't think that's no. how it works. No. No, I think so. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I just... I, I wanted to tell you when we decided that, but you were unconscious, so... Yes, yes, it was. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Interesting choices. Listen, uh, if you need us to, like, leave now, if you need to go back to sleep, just let us know, Yeah. No, I have. Yeah, it looks a little piece of paper. I have a list of people I have to see today. Mm. Mm. It's all right. I'm only getting in trouble for a few. Yeah, he puts the, the the note down as you guys are kind of standing up to go, and he coughs a little bit and looks at the two of you. You know, just because an age has come and gone doesn't mean that it never comes back. There will be a time when the Fae and humans are closer than ever. And there will be an age of heroes again. And I feel proud to be trained by two I see as heroes. And I feel prouder still to have trained two more. Thanks, Heath. Off you, Pop. Puck is just looking at you. Puck, come on. We got stuff to do, like, probably. Why are you, shaking, why are you shaking your head, Puck? You're getting soft. Go away, Puck. <laughs> <laughs> sort of little Mexican standoff ends. <laughs> and Puck leaves. All right, Alistair and Puck, you uh, head out the door and down the corridor. You actually see, as you are walking, you're heading towards the elevators. Uh, Alistair, you have an appointment with Granger downstairs. In one of the first basement levels, you're going to be running some tests again tonight while the rest of um, the the testing rooms are cleared and no one else is in there. That way they can kind of ensure the maximum amount of safety if anything does go wrong with the gun. Okay. Uh, so that's where you're heading. Puck has been accompanying you most of the time, uh, even though it seems to kind of stress her out to be there. Hey, Puck, are you coming down tonight as well? Yeah, I'm coming. You know you don't have to. Like I'm, I'm okay to do this on my own. I don't need you there. If Look, you if you go crazy and start shooting up the place, I think I better be there. Well, yeah, I'd appreciate that, but you know, you you can have a night off. It's okay. 
it's all right. I'd rather be there than not. Just looking forward to all this being done. All the, the tests. It gives me the heebie-jeebies. What, doctors or the spirit gun in my arm? <laughs> uh, please, Alistair, I'm not a child. It's definitely the doctors. <laughs> yeah. As you are getting to the level with the elevators, you actually see them open and you see Emily Bell step out. She looks very similar to when you saw her appear in the basement with Warwick. She's relatively short and she has quite a slight build. You notice now, which you didn't at the time, that her skin is pretty weathered. You can see that there are lots of hard lines around her eyes that make her look a very serious and stern kind of person. Her unruly hair is tied back and she's wearing more or less the same clothes as a few days ago. She gives you a polite nod as you pass. Elsa returns the nod and then when we like get into the lift and the doors close, it's like, look at us go. Working with heroes. I mean, I think Heath kind of cuts himself short. I think Heath's more hero material than he realises. Yeah, he is. All right, let's do this doctor stuff. You know, if you need to step out and get a like a coffee or a, I don't know, whatever you people drink. You people? <laughs> this yeah. is, Alistair, this is why you, you don't have a girlfriend. You are not good at talking to women. I'm just not good at you talking people, to honestly. people. I, I think that's... And hey, that's, that's low, man. Ernest's voice just drifts through the air. He's not good at talking to at all. <laughs> Somehow, uh, I think somebody would struggle to uh, put up with my gallivanting all over the world and nearly getting myself killed all the time. Depends what field of work they're in. I mean, Heath seems to make it work. Weirdly. Yeah. Are we ever going to meet her? Or is this just like one of his stories that he uses to like in his hoorah moments? Honestly, I'm not sure. I reckon if she is real and he hasn't introduced us, it's probably because he's ashamed of us, Alistair. That's that's gotta be it. Why is that your default? Why is that what you assume? <laughs> Alright, we leave you there as you're heading down. Nice. Um, as you're heading down in the elevator. Uh Heath, there's a knock at your door and Emily Bell steps in. The head of the tiered defense department steps inside. She she's brought you a very small fruit basket that she doesn't really seem to know what to do with. She sort of goes to put it somewhere, goes to put it on your bed, and then just sort of puts it on one of the chairs and sits down. <laughs> Emily, to what do I owe the pleasure? Uh, just a social call. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Aren't you a special boy? I know. When do I ever earn a social call from the bells? When you're half dead in the hospital bed and it's our fault. Oh, well, your sisters would disagree. I get I get social calls from them a lot, and they're very angry. I mean, if you've ever got Anne angry, I would be surprised. I've never seen her raise her voice. Uh, well, although once, no. and it was because it was back when uh, we didn't have the whole uh, concreted in areas for all the files, and I knocked one over, and it created a domino effect. Yeah, I think I remember that. Yeah, that was my third year training. Come and, to think uh, of it, I thought I was going to get fired. You might have. Come to think of it, the last time we spent Christmas together as a family, we played Scrabble. And I tried to convince her 
that Smurf was a legitimate word. She threw the board into the fire. <laughs> I have never seen her that upset. <laughs> that sounds about right. Look, Heath, I'm here because I'm proud of you. Oh. And I know the last couple of months have been difficult. And I know that we on the board have been asking a lot from you. And I have to say, I am ashamed that we haven't supported you nearly as much as we should have with Wormwood, with Slate Ridge. You haven't had the backing or the support that you should have had considering we're trying to train you up for leadership. I chalk that up to divisions within the board itself. It's not your fault. That is our fault. And it's on me as your direct supervisor that I haven't been around to fight for you in that. Emily and Anne have their own divisions to run and I've been putting a lot on them. So don't hold it too harshly against them. It is my fault. But I think you should know you've shown your medal. You've really shown what you're made of with Slate Ridge and with Utah and I think also with Wormwood. Those two kids out there are some of the best we have and that's... Not entirely devoid of your responsibility. Look, you're a good man and you're doing a good job. But I do need to tell you, you do put Warwick and me on a bit of a pedestal, which is flattering, you know, thank you, but you make us out to be a lot bigger and a lot grander than we really are, Heath. Everyone here is just bundling along, trying to do the best they can in the face of a lot of different threats that we don't understand. And it seems like there's more threats every day. And I know that you've been kicking yourself about Slate Ridge being something of a mess. Let me tell you, the first time that I tried to run an operation, the UN got involved, there was a whole thing... Apparently, I threatened the stability of, like, a sovereign nation. Look, I'm not going to say Desert Storm was, like, a direct consequence, but it wasn't unrelated. It's not... <laughs> Point is, it could have gone a lot worse. And in my day, these things did go a lot worse. And, you know, not everyone is cut out to run those sort of operations. Hell, I'm not cut out to run those sort of operations, and I give it to Charlotte as much as I can. That's her thing. But you did a lot better than I would have at your age. And I saw you after the fact at Utah. You put body and soul on the line to protect those kids in a hopeless situation. You went above and beyond. You gave everything. And as much as you maybe like to pretend that you don't, you do have a lot to lose, Heath. Your real strength is as a defender, a protector. And I've seen you do that time and time again, and you're good at it. So don't beat yourself up. Being a good leader, managing large operations, all those things, that's just stuff that you learn in time. And it's stuff that you make mistakes in. But you already have the most important attribute and the thing that this organization needs the most. And that's a desire to protect. It's a heart for looking after people that need it. But don't go and forget about your family. Your most important job is looking after them. And they need you a lot more than we do. The job's important, but the family's more important, okay? Yes, ma'am. 
Anyway, you get some rest. One thing, though, and not to talk out of turn, but we lose more fights than we win now. And we work harder to hold the ground that once came freely to us. Everything's pushing against us. There are more fights every day. Maybe I put you and Warwick on a bit of a pedestal, but yeah, you guys have complications and you might not see yourselves as befitting the role of an ancient hero or anything like that, but I never saw those people as perfect. That's not the role, that's not the responsibility. A hero's life is constant turmoil and constant mistakes. A hero's there to inspire everyone, and we need that more than ever. It's not about them carrying the whole load, it's about showing other people that they can carry more. Maybe. At the end of the day, heroes are just ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances and rising to the challenge. And I'll agree, things are tougher now, and things have been getting tougher. And if I'm honest, I don't think it's going to get easier anytime soon. This whole tide rising business that you keep telling me about that keeps popping up, I've been seeing it too. People use different terms, people say different stuff, but the consensus is that something's changing. And whatever that business is with the moon turning red and earthquakes all over the world and stuff, none of that's good, so we need all the help we can get. But until I'm dead and buried, Tia's going to be standing here and it's going to keep fighting. Good talk? Yeah. One of our betters. All right. All right. I'm going to go. Bye. She gets up and sort of awkwardly walks out. <laughs> She's not much of one for social interaction. She realizes that this is really not her cup of tea. Emily opens the door to leave and walks straight into Warwick, who's like just reaching for the hand. It's like, ah, Emily, are you going already? I brought dinner. And she sort of, uh, no, thank you, Stanford. I'm I'm on my way. I've uh, I've got some things to do. I'll be in my office if you need me. You you enjoy. Is that blood pudding? Yes. <laughs> well, you enjoy that. Bye. Warwick sort of shuffles through the door. Why, you can hello see. there, Stanford. Uh, don't call me that. Uh, only Emily gets to call me that, and my mother. Yeah, Here we go. Hot chips, black pudding. Why are you looking at me like that, Stanford? Anyway. It's a normal name. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't work with you. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, clear your calendar. I've got a story to tell you. Another one? Yeah, this is... Have I told you about Mercy's Creek? Yes. That's a good old chestnut uh, roast. To, I'm just going to tell you the story, okay? <laughs> he, sits, he sits down. <laughs> so the year was 1990-something or other. Walkmans were in. Um, I had more hair then. We rejoin Alistair some 20 minutes later. Alistair, you've changed into your training gear, uh, which is basically workout clothing. You're on a treadmill, almost in a full sprint uh, at this point. You're wearing an oxygen mask that is tracking exactly how much oxygen you are intaking. There is a display that is reading out all of your vital signs. Granger is sitting not far away with a tablet um, 
monitoring all of these things. He is the same as ever, uh, tall and thin with his black three-piece suit, the ever-present cigarette either in his lips or between his fingers as he is checking your vitals. Puck is sitting on a bench just outside the door. Uh, There's glass windows from the inside of this testing room to the outside. You can see that um, Pevensey is actually sitting out there with her. Uh, Make a roll for me, Alistair. Ooh, 12. Okay, you are doing exceptionally well. Part of your training has absolutely been general conditioning, and of all of that, you found cardio to be uh, the easiest thing for you naturally. Yep. You struggle a little bit with the weight stuff and a few of those things, but cardio comes easily to you. You can run for long periods like this. This is the latest in a battery of different tests that Granger has been putting you through. He's been testing your physical reactions to different kinds of stimuli, lots of different things. He's had you in swimming tanks. He's had you in oxygen deprivation tanks. He's been doing all sorts of different tests, trying to understand the physical connection between you and the significant that is the gun. Okay. Uh, You've filled him in on just about everything that you know he's been doing research into who uh, Dylan was. Yep. And he's been trying to find a way of measuring that liminal space in your brain where you seem to be able to talk to him. Yep. Uh, One of your instructions at the moment has been to try and call on the gun or speak to Dylan while you're in this heightened physical condition while you're running. Uh, So make a roll for me for that. Eight. Uh, You've been running pretty hard now for about two minutes and at this point you close your eyes and you try and and find that strange outer rim of your brain where Dylan seems to reside. You feel that slightly uncomfortable coalescing at the back of your mind like a small reptile curling at the back of base of your neck and you find yourself standing in the shallow puddle of water in a dark space. Faustus. Hello. Hi. You see the small man in front of you, unchanged. He is always exactly the same. You're letting them test on us. I'm letting them test for you, yeah. For me. Well, what do you mean? To try and find you within me. Why would you want that? Because I believe that we need to understand you. Not, not that I'm saying that I don't understand you myself in, in who you are. But for the good of everyone that I work for and, and work with, we need to know how this works how how you're able to do this and it's not just you either we know that there are other items of significance and so maybe if we can understand what happened to you and how this works then we can understand the other ones better too you see him frown the lines around his eyes and his forehead deepening Alistair our power is our own Nobody else can control it. And nobody else needs to understand it. They just need to respect it. If they feel unsafe, it's because they don't trust you. If they want to understand me, it's because they don't trust you to use my power safely. 
You're right. They they don't need to understand it, no. But, like you said, it's mine. It's my choice. And I'm choosing to let them study you. Study us, I guess. And what if they decide to take me away from you? What if they find a way to remove me unwillingly? You know, I've grown a lot in the last two years, Dylan. And some of that time has been with you. But you're not part of me. I know you like to think that you are because it gives you a sense of belonging and I know that that's really important. But I was who I am before I found you and that hasn't changed and it won't change if we're separated. So... If we decide that separating you from me is the best outcome, that doesn't scare me because that doesn't change me. That doesn't change who I am. And what about me? I'm just supposed to be an object in this. You're a lost thing. Do Part you of mean our... that to be an insult? No. I mean, I'm sorry if you take it that way, but you you are inside, you know, a a gun, so I'm, I'm doing my best to be tactful here. And I'm doing my best to protect you, Alistair, from everything that would harm us. Protect me from everything that would harm us. That's an interesting so st sentence structure you got going on there. You are the carrier, Alistair. You are the closest thing I have to a body. If you die, then I am left separated. I am left without someone to carry me. I do not mean to be crude, but this is a symbiotic relationship. I need you. I need a host. I need a carrier. I need someone that can wield me. I can't wield myself. And that's all I exist for now. And I do like you, Alistair. I understand you. You have been where I have been. You know what it is like to be what I once was. I don't want to have another carrier. And, look, you need to understand, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to separate you from me. It's not, it's not about that. It's about understanding that I'm not... I'm not the centre of everything that's going on here I'm not the most important thing in the world and I need to recognise that and I need to recognise your part to play in that the more I understand you the more I understand this, this whole thing the more I can know what the best thing to do is but also the more we know you the more we can help you the only thing I need is to be used I have a purpose it's all I am I'm only a purpose now, Alistair. I don't want to be understood. I don't need to be understood. I just need to fulfill my purpose. So then what happens when you refuse? Like you did last week. When I refuse what? When you refuse to fulfill your purpose. My purpose is to bring justice. My purpose is to protect the weak. And if I can't protect the weak, there's no point me being there. If something is beyond me, why try? The creature that you faced was beyond my ability to kill. It wasn't the smart thing. The best way to protect you was for you to run. You wouldn't 
run. I tried it your way, and it didn't work, and I told you to run, and you didn't listen. No, I didn't. Because I'm separate from you. But I am not separate from you. I will submit to this testing. But, if they try to take me, I will not go peacefully. Warn them of this. Oh, I will. I will. I'm not happy with this arrangement, Alistair. I'm uneasy with it. I don't like this direction. I don't feel it is in our best interests. But for the time being, we have each other and very little else. Yeah, Puck's right. No wonder I don't have a girlfriend. Sorry, I... That, ignore that. Um, yeah, look, I don't know... I don't know what the best course of action is here either, but you chose me. Not the other way around. You choose me every time you call on my power, Alistair Stern, and do not forget it. You feel him push you back out of this space, and you are forced back into your conscious mind, into your body. <laughs> Roll the d12. Five. Uh, you trip. <laughs> you don't fully, like, hit, fall, get shot off, but you sort of stumble... Um, and you begin to fall and you sort of roll off the treadmill and you realise you're breathing very hard. Alistair, like, catches himself and realises he's been... He doesn't know how long he's been running while his mind has been disconnected. Uh, Granger is picking you up uh, sort of under the arms. He's guiding you to a seat. You can see that Puck has pushed her way inside. I'm okay. Easy there. Ah. How long was I running for? About ten minutes. Ten Ranger minutes. Is looking at his notes. Yeah. Oh wow. I didn't feel like that long. Interestingly, you. Hmm. Interestingly, you started running faster as soon as you hit the liminal space. Yeah, I bet I did. Your heart rate was up, and more so than it has been when we've tested this kind of running without it. I would say that indicates a lot of stress. I yeah, think it puts your mind under stress to be there. I kind of got into an argument. It, it doesn't help. Not a bad one. Seems our boy doesn't... He doesn't want to lose his home by the sound of it, but he's playing along for now. But he did... He did ask me to warn you that if... If you try and separate him, he's not going to... He's not going to let you do it willingly. And I don't know what that means for my mind. Granger uh, puts a cigarette between his lips and shrugs off his suit jacket and begins rolling up his sleeves. I wonder if we could jury rig some kind of phone tap, some way of hearing in on these conversations. Might be good to have an expert. That'd be... Yeah, that'd be really great. If you can do that, I'd... Yeah, I'd be open to that. Sounds to me Puck, like we pass might me the, need... Pass me the water. Puck does. Oh, thanks. It sounds to me like we might need some kind of negotiator here. This is starting to sound more and more like a hostage negotiation situation. Yeah, I'm, I'm beginning to feel pretty out of my depth, to be honest. I, I, I don't know how long I can keep the keep the peace between understanding and achieving what we need to and, you know, 
essentially not giving him an eviction notice, you know? Mm. It's not... I'm not good at it. Let's talk shop very quickly, Alistair, here. Um, yep. Okay. Here's what we've learned in a nutshell. Thanks, you can, you can take this back now. This uh, service revolver is basically cursed. But the yeah, curse is very different. It's not like cursed objects I've come across before. Cursed objects before have a certain amount of, um, let's call them a magical thumbprint. There's a level of DNA traced. You can find the caster or the cursor in this instance. Um, okay. Recognizable ticks, this sort of thing, a little like a maker's mark. And they have a specific purpose. Uh, they're not unlike a bomb or a poison or anything else. It's really just a... Like a seal or a signature. Yeah, something like that. This is different. This has the effects of a curse, a trapped human soul inside of a weapon. But it's... Otherworldly, it's not of a human design. This is no human work, which is strange. If only we had the other significance that we could actually check properly. My theory at this point is that these objects were not meant to become cursed in this way. They must have been uh, exposed to something very powerful. This is a secondary effect. This is a... Yes. No, let me help you with that. You're still breathing quite Thanks. hard. Um, and you can, you're feeling the tiredness. And he reaches out a hand um, and he places his palm on your forehead. And you suddenly feel yourself chill as if uh, cold water has been poured down your neck and your breathing <laughs> slows instantly. And you feel energy return to you. Thanks. That should do it. Uh. Right. Well, I'm going to go plug this data in and I'm going to see what we can pull out and I'll prepare the next test. You have a break. Okay. Uh, Puck is like staring down Granger. It's okay, young lady. You don't need to be so worried. I haven't bitten him yet. You know, if it's me that you're worried about, you you don't need to be. It's it's the gun you should be worried about. He's uh, Granger leaves and Puck turns to you. Not worried about the gun, Alistair. I'm not particularly worried about you. Look, this place just makes me uncomfortable. I don't like all of this. And she's gesturing at the, the treadmill and the breathing apparatus that you've been wearing. It's basically just cardio. It's fine. It's look, safe. I know what it is. I'm just I'm just saying, look, I'm going to go get a drink. Do you want something? Uh, yeah. I... Milk would be, be great. <laughs> she leaves. Thanks. You can see that she's extremely tense. You can see that Pevensey is still sitting outside on the, the bench. You can see him through the door. Yeah, Alistair sits down and he's picked up his drink bottle again. He has some more water and sits down. Pevensey is wearing a pullover, a jumper. He's wearing jeans and sort of old man white tennis shoes. He looks very much like any random uncle at a Christmas dinner. So... All's going well, it looks like. Yeah, I guess you could say that. How are you feeling, Alistair? I'm confused. How so? Well, Faustus or or Dylan or whatever name he prefers, he keeps talking about, like, us and our power and, like, our 
our ability to do things, you know, like he can protect me. I can give him somewhere to reside, you know, us, it's always us, but I didn't choose this. Like I, I, I didn't choose him. I didn't choose to take on the responsibility or the burden maybe of, of carrying him within my soul. You know, I didn't ask to, I didn't ask to have his power, yet I was pretty happy to receive it at the time because, you know, it's come in handy and it's probably saved my life a few times. Pucks as well. Mm-hmm. But that... I'm... I'm a... It's not, it's not us. It's It's me and the gun. But he keeps talking about it like that. I don't feel like I should have the authority t- to differentiate that because I'm I'm not part of him. Uh, we're not the same entity. We're separate. But if I have the authority to choose that, then I'm having the authority to to take away his. I don't know. It's like it's like somebody who's depending on you that you didn't ask for, but if you refuse to keep looking after them then they can't do anything because they need you it's just it's very difficult anyway sorry no no it's perfectly fine sometimes we uh, get distracted by all the the strangeness of this area of the world of this area of study Um, and we can lose sight of the things that are just common I mean what you described just there is really just a very unhealthy codependent relationship and not a little abusive in fact which is very difficult for you to deal with especially as it wasn't even a relationship that you knowingly entered into yeah you feel like someone else is taking your autonomy someone else is imposing upon your free will saying that they have claim to what you do and don't do and that's a that's a tricky thing. It's tricky at the best of times, not least when it's a person trapped in your head. Yeah, I think I think that what what makes it so hard because I am I dealing with a person or am I dealing with a weapon? Because if it's a weapon, you know the choice is easy. It's dangerous. It's unpredictable. I use a different weapon. If it's a person, you need to treat it like a person. But if if I do that, then he ceases to become a person. He's just an object again. It's like killing someone. Yes and no. I would argue he kind of like uh, crosses one knee over the other and crosses his arms. He's kind of entering into this sort of like speculative... Speculative world of fiction. Mm. He goes, oh, let me tell you about Narnia. (laughs) I think it's a little different than that, in fact. I would say that every human really is dangerous and unpredictable too. And of course, there is that old argument that uh, guns don't kill people, bullets kill people, and it's the people with the guns that shoot the bullets. Or Anyway. My, my dad uses that a lot. Yeah. Um, but the point being, as illogical as that argument is in many ways, he is both a dangerous weapon and a person, and he is manipulating you partially with guilt and partially with his own power and that's not okay 
even if he does need a host, even if he can protect you with the power that he has, that doesn't excuse the behavior. And it is also interesting that he has chosen to name himself after a literary figure who is most known for making a deal with the devil. It's a bit telling, isn't it? Yes, and I do wonder, having not been able to speak with him myself, whether it's subconscious, whether he sees himself as a Faustus. Yeah, from from what I'd heard, the gun, he he wasn't the original occupant of the gun. It had someone else and it connected with him in the same way and now he's trapped in there. Yes. And I suppose I'm a little bit scared that if I... Yeah, exercise my autonomy to separate him from myself that the same thing's going to happen to me and I'll I'll end up inside the gun instead. I don't know how that works. It does seem like a possibility. Yeah. I do not know how that works either. Frankly, it's quite disturbing. Yeah. What I would say, though, Alistair, if you're looking for advice, if you're not just discount this as an old man rambling (laughs) it is important that you have your autonomy and nobody has the right to take that away from you we are created with choice and we are created to make choices and those choices have consequences of course it seems to me like dylan as you have said his name really is i believe that's correct yeah He seems to be repeating the behavior of the person who harmed him, which is certainly not uncommon as a method of coping. Mm. Gives him a sense of power and control over his situation. And as much as we might feel pity and concern for who he once was and whatever is left of him, that does not excuse him from treating you this way. It is best that we try and separate you if we can. I say we as if as if really that is up to me. That's very much up to Granger. But he is a very smart man. I do quite admire his tenacity, even if it is very single-minded. Very focused. Yeah, if anyone focused. can figure out how to do it. Yes. It's very good, though, that you've um, made a lot of these realizations that you have. I think, gosh, I feel like I was a lot older than you when I was making realizations like this about myself. <laughs> Some mature faster than others, eh? But you know your place and you know your value and you know that it's not in having all the power that a supernatural spirit gun can provide you. It's about your innate value, your who you are. I think think I'm starting to understand maybe that I... In fact, ironically, I think Faustus has kind of shown me this despite the fact that he's probably trying to hide it from me. That's kind of, you know, you look in the negative space, right? Yes, and you can often see your own faults and failings easier in other people. Yeah, I, th- I think for so long, like for my whole life, I've I've wanted, I've wanted my value to other people to be my my ability to protect people, you know, like or or save people or have power over evil or something you know and uh, mm-hmm. yeah maybe maybe you're right fundamentally i believe we all want to be loved we all need to be loved and we will do just about anything 
for anyone to feel that. It's the, the whole that we have in our hearts. And it's certainly not uncommon to try and earn love from others by being useful or helpful or impressive in some way. Yeah, and if you work for a government organization that fights monsters, you know, having a having a tank gun in your arms, pretty good attribute, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. But all that is chasing after the wind, as they say. The only love that counts is the love that is freely given. And it's not earned. And it's good to know that you are lovable and that you are valuable for who you are without tank gun or monster fighting ability or any of those things. Just simply for who you are with nothing else. Not everyone is going to recognize that. Not everyone is going to to treat you like that. But you can insist upon your own value and you can insist upon real love being shown, not earned. But it's all growing. It's all a process. Yeah. But your friends are coming back and I feel like I should probably get out of the way. As much as I do like to try and keep abreast of everything that's going on, I feel like I often am just standing in the way. Heath, you have uh, endured Warwick's remembrances. He is reminiscing about one of his early uh, expeditions with Tyr. Feeling the need for something a little more than black pudding and hot chips, you have uh, made your way downstairs. You've made your way to the small cafeteria near the basement level. Uh, as you push your way through the door, uh, one of your arms is still in a sling as it is taking longer to recover. The other arm, you have most of the movement back. You have a few fingers that are still quite bruised, um, a bit of a sprain in one of them. You're moving slowly. You're wearing mostly pajamas and a dressing gown, uh, something comfortable, and you move into the small cafeteria where lunch is provided for the tier staff. The cafeteria is all but empty. There's one janitor mopping the floor over in one corner and you see Emily Bell. She is uh, making coffee at one of the small refreshment stations, whatever you call them. Heath goes over. Don't let Warwick see you. He'll never forgive you. Hmm? Passing up on black pudding. Oh, no, can't stand the stuff. That's. I don't think he does either. I think it's just a, an image thing. Well. Anyway. Why are you out of bed? Uh, I need to talk to you about something. Really? Our, our little heart-to-heart wasn't enough for you, huh? Well, I was going to talk about it then, but you kind of set the tone in a different direction, so... Oh, uh, I want I to talk see. shop, to, so to speak. Okay, well, she she moves to sit down at one of the tables. You can see that there's a TV um, up on the wall that's running the news channel. He sits down and kind of scratches the uh, his unshaven face. Has the, the the concept crossed your mind that this thing that attacked us in the, uh, the Salt Plains, it knew my name, it said my name, it knew about me. When I was fighting it, it said stuff along the lines of, this is what I would expect from Morningstar. Mm-hmm. Well, clearly it targeted you. That's yes. fairly obvious. And Emily, can we bring some attention to the fact that Wormwood was the absolute worst team that could have been sent on that mission? We had just completed. Firstly, we had just completed a mission, and tier protocol is to not do back-to-back missions. Not like yes. that. That's true. Team Wormwood should never have even been in the list 
of considerations. I agree. So let's let's go through it. I have a very special team. I have Puck, who has a history of people coming after her. Mm. And I have Alistair, who just so happens to have an item bonded with him that we know people are after. And then my team is sent on the mission we should never have been sent on, asked for by name from within Tyr to go on a mission. And the thing that attacks us there knew we were coming and planned a trap for us. I could be very cynical and very self-centered about all this and think that oh, it, it's, it was just a revenge thing and he knew me through something and wanted to, to hurt me, but that's not what he was doing. He was fighting me to take me out of the equation. His focus was Puck and Alistair. His focus was the gun. Puck's special, yeah, but that's all. that was all a long time ago. I see what you mean. That is concerning. I hadn't really thought about that. To the best of my knowledge, and I didn't check into it, perhaps I should have checked deeper, the call came through the actual site on Utah. There was a call from, oh, I forget his name, whoever was in charge, and he said, I forget the words, they had information to deliver. They'd been promising new findings and could a team from Tier please pick it up on the way. That's what was said. Um, he knew that Tier had an operation not too far away and that it would be more secure to give it directly to a Tier team that was heading back to base than to try and airmail it or any of those things. That's the protocol. They're supposed to be personally carried. Nothing online is really predictably safe enough. But someone at Tier selected you as opposed to Warwick or as opposed to any of the others. And let's break this down. It wasn't you. No. It wasn't Warwick acting in your stead. It wouldn't be Charlotte. No. Land, because they understand the rules around it. So what I'm saying here is someone high up made the call that my injured and insufficient team were to go there. Are you suggesting what I think you're suggesting, Heath? I'm suggesting that the devils are within the walls. You think we have a mole? No, no. We have a traitor. Someone actively undoing us. And they're in the table. Puck is returning with a bottle of chocolate milk and a bottle of water. You can see Granger behind her. And behind Granger uh, is another figure. Uh, he is a small... Oh, I can't actually remember if he's small at all. Anyway, um, you recognize Edmund Whitcliffe, uh, the dowdy head of the Department of Development. Uh, he is... Is he the bat guy? He's the bat guy, yeah. He was the bat guy, yeah. <laughs> and you can see that he's sort of trotting after Granger and, and speaking to him in a very sort of pleading kind of manner. Um, and if you, as as they approach and you stand up, you can hear Whitcliffe saying, You know, I could use some help to get these down to the basement. Granger is lighting another cigarette. Uh, well, I'm setting up for experiments. If you really need them taken down... Well, I mean, uh, He stops in front of you and goes... Alistair, Puck, would you mind uh, helping Whitcliffe? He just needs a hand, and then I'll be ready to set up for the next test. 
You don't need me for the next few minutes? No, I just need to rearrange some things. Uh, Pevensey, could you give me a hand to move a few of these tables? Um, Puck, make sure that Alistair doesn't exert himself too much. Whitcliffe just needs an extra couple of sets of hands. Come on, you two, just sound this way. I've just got... Yeah, come on. Yes. Uh, you follow Puck silently, hands you your chocolate milk. Thanks. Whitcliffe takes you along the corridor, and you are underground at this point. Uh, these are all the basement corridors that existed when the uh, Whitechapel Hospital was here in this building. And it's all been retrofitted with lights and things that have been brought down um, and the concrete floor that's been put in and these sort of things. And Whitcliffe brings you out into one of the foyers down here. Uh, and you can see that he has uh, three trolleys loaded up with very large uh, crates. And they're kind of like cryo storage crates for um, museum examples and these sort of things. They're all on trolleys. And you can see that he's managed to like get them down here using one of the service elevators. And he says... Listen, I, I just need these these things. I just need a hand to put them over there into the other service elevator and get them downstairs so I can start moving them about and putting them where I need. I'm sure that's okay. I hope you don't mind. Just won't take a minute. Uh, yep, that's fine. Puck nods and uh, she takes one of them. You can see there's, there's, there's three very large crates uh, and as you're, you're wheeling these little trolleys towards the service elevator, the service elevator is a big industrial affair and very old. It's the kind of thing with a, a big wire front gate that you would slide to one side, get everything in, and you'd slide it back again. Um, and he's explaining to you as he goes, like, oh, it's very exciting. There's lots of brand new samples. There's all sorts of exciting brand new things we're going to look at. It's going to be very exciting to unpack. Can't wait. What are they? Oh, that, that, my boy, is the big secret. Can't tell you too soon, can I? <laughs> and besides, uh, Emily's been telling me I had to move them because they were in her way, apparently. So, you know, we had her office or something, so I had to move them down here. And then, anyway, it's very exciting. Very exciting. Here, but mind, mind the door jam. Yes, okay, good job. Yep. Through here, through here. That's it. Good boy. The three of you load them all in to the, the service elevator. He closes the door and sets the... Uh, the crank down and it begins to descend. You can see it's very, very loud. It rattles a lot um, as it goes. You know that you're heading for the basement and this is an area, Alistair, that you've never really been. You've never had cause to be down there. Uh, you know that Tyr descends uh, nearly four stories below ground into uh, a very old basement level that was here before the hospital itself was built. Uh, long before Tyr moved in. And you also know that this is one of the, the testing sites that they use down here, but it isn't used very much anymore. It's sort of a, a miscellaneous storage and testing ground. Uh, you've been down to some of the lower levels, but never the full basement. Whitcliffe is sort of murmuring to himself and humming a little haphazardly. Um, he seems to be checking a notebook uh, and going through like a to-do list as he goes. So you got that, got that. Uh, oh, yes, I need to talk to them about that. That's okay. That's done. That's got the boxes. Yes. <clears throat> he checks his watch. Uh, ah, right on time. Wonderful. And you feel a shudder through the earth. You feel it as if a vibration moving through stone and you feel the uh, elevator itself quake a little bit. You hear metal squeal just a little and dust drop from the ceiling. Alistair kind of... Looks up curiously. Is that normal for down here? I've never been down here before. Make a make an intelligence check. Two. 
yeah, you do not know. This could be how the elevator works, in which case that's very disturbing. Um, or it could be, you know, some other piece of machinery maybe that's down here. I'm going to, like, glance at Puck. Has she... Does she look worried by it? Puck is looking at the ceiling and there is a frown on her face. She goes, What? I don't think that's the elevator. That doesn't seem good. Heath, at this point, you feel a rumble through the floor. You feel the entire building shake. Make a perception check for me with advantage. Nine. You know that that's not an earthquake. That's some kind of explosive charge. Heath looks at Emily. I need to get downstairs. As you look up, you your eye catches on the newsfeed, and it has changed um, from what it was. It was displaying market prices dropping and these sort of things, and you can see it has changed now to live feeds um, from. A helicopter, a fire is breaking out, and you can tell this is somewhere in South London. Amidst the fire, you're seeing two buildings going up, and then a third, and then a fourth, and you can see the top of one building beginning to fall. And out of the fire emerging, you can see a shape. A figure in the fire is tearing into the buildings with clawed hands. You see a large head, monstrous and deformed, opens its mouth into the air and roars. The city is under attack. Whitcliffe is looking at his notebook and just then uh, you clear into the basement and you can see, because this is sort of uh, the old school service elevators with a wire cage, basically, uh, you've been able to see the bricks passing you this whole time. Uh, and now you are entering out into the basement space. You can see that the basement is a very large, circular room. Uh, It is constructed of large slabs of stone and brickwork. It is two stories down. Uh, Surrounding this circular space is um, arched colonnades, this sort of archway that loops right the way round with about 20 arches. And set back into those arches and other rooms and there's walkways and things. And actually, as you look here, you can see that there's uh, plenty of things stored in these different archways. There's equipment set up. Some of them have lights on where you can see there's workspaces and things down here. But in the very center, in the center of this circular room where all of the bricks kind of meet together, there is a stone about the size of a large table Uh, rooted into the ground. It seems like this was here before the actual stonework. There's a large fissure through the stone where it's almost been cracked in half. And you can see that there's monitoring equipment set up to monitor whatever this seems to be. Just make a a roll for me, a d12. (laughs) It's a two again. You are looking down at this thinking, this is a very strange thing to have in a basement. And that's when you feel a hand close around your neck around the back of your neck and you feel fingers press into your throat you feel rubber and you can smell the talcum powder on them shit puck feels exactly the same thing you're standing almost shoulder to shoulder with puck and as you feel this pressure suddenly around your throat squeezing very hard so much so that it's very hard to breathe you move your head minutely you turn your eyes to see and a face appears at the edge of your vision. 
a face that is bandaged and misshapen with goggles and strange ears. And right in your ear you hear, Easy now. No need to panic. We have all the time in the world. It's time you met Mother. 